Everybody, welcome back to Women's Fire. I'm your host, Michelle Thomas. Thanks for being here today. My guest today is Dina Eccles. Dina owns Echo Valley Farm near Ontario, um, and there's a bakery out there, which we definitely talk about. Um, and I was out there last summer and knew a little bit about their farm and knew that I wanted to have Dina on. And so it was nice to finally get to meet her and hear her story. Dina very well integrated into the community. She's been um, in this area for over 20 years, and she has she's a host of conversations. If you listen to that on WDRT, and she also has a weekly two-minute show called Consider This on WDRT. So you can check that out uh, at wdrt.org. It was really great to hear her story. Um, the more I learned about it on her website um, is EchoValleyFarmWisconsin.com. Um, she's such an interesting person, has really unique perspectives, has a really interesting journey, and it was really wonderful to get to know her a little bit better. So here is my conversation with Dina Eccles. Uh, hi, Dina. Thanks for coming in today. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad the weather mostly cooperated because I know you <laughs> came uh, quite a ways. So, all right. Um, well, as I was saying to you that I... Um, this past summer, went out to the farm and bakery out in Ontario that you have and um, knew that it was run by a woman and there's bakery there also run by a woman. I was like, oh, check, add that to my list. How did this get to be? Whatever. So um, I guess I usually start with like, where are you from mm -hmm. and how did you get here? Oh, okay. Well, first off, I want to clarify, I'm not the baker. <laughs> no, you're not the baker. That's right. Yep. Uh, but it's wonderful having the bakery at Echo Valley. Yeah. Um, I originated uh, in Pennsylvania, western Pennsylvania, the hills, and I landed in Chicago for quite a long time. What, how old were you? Years. When I got to Chicago? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I was older. I, I had traveled around probably in my late 20s. Oh, okay. So your real formative years were in that like Pennsylvania uh, and traveling around I yeah. lived in different places oh okay like Florida Miami oh what yeah. took you around oh <laughs> that's a whole <laughs> that's other, a whole other story good things always yeah. good things oh good but um so after the main thing that I think catapulted me out of Chicago was 9-11 mm. I think it was the uh the recognition of uh systems collapsing and not I, I'm not a prepper I'm not somebody who but I felt that people needed to be in nature and quite frankly I would have liked to have gone back to Pennsylvania West Virginia the area I'm from but at that time you couldn't travel really easily mm. uh, there was a lot of restrictions on air travel and stuff like that so I remembered coming through the driftless and, and it's much like my home in Pennsylvania mm. because of the hills so I thought, well, this is this could work. Yeah. And so I started uh, coming up. Sometimes I would make a four-hour drive from Chicago just to look at a place to see. And um, found what we call now Echo Valley. And that was uh, 22 years ago. Wow. Yeah, because it was right shortly after 9-11 okay. where I felt to make that move. So, yeah, that's, that's how I got here. Okay. And so 
it's my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, um, what it is now is not, hasn't been around for 22 years, correct? The farm? Yeah, well, the, like, that you have rentals and the communal living no, and stuff like well, that? Well, the communal or, living was always It was there, there. okay. Yeah, the okay. whole idea was my influences had been around the pursuit of peace and around uh, indigenous studies. I actually was an acupuncturist in Chicago. Oh, okay. So my studies led me to uh, indigenous healing, and I saw, in both in Chinese medicine and in native medicines, completely connected to the earth. Mm-hmm. And that brought me back to my childhood, which was completely connected to the earth. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, this is what's needed. And my mentors at that time, you know, I said, you know, I think I want to buy some land. And my, my Navajo mentor particularly, she said, buy the land and it'll teach you. Mm. And that, that's what started it. Uh, so then I started looking for land immediately. Can we talk a little <clears throat> bit about mentorship? Because sure. I, um, you know, growing up, I was around family. Um, and I feel like it's really only been since I've been an adult that um, the notion of like having mentorship in your life and how really important that is. And then in some parenting books that I've read, they've really stressed that from pretty much like maybe the age of seven on, like to have other adults in your children's life that love them and can nurture them and, you know, whatever. So how did you come upon um, understanding mentorship and Mm. having one or some in your life? I think I've always had that, and I think I've had a deep appreciation of that ever since I was really young. Mm. Um, I had a cousin, distant cousin, uh, who was my Sunday school teacher, catechism teacher. Mm -hmm. But I, and I didn't know it at first that she was uh, my cousin, Mm -hmm. but she also had muscular dystrophy. So she was in a wheelchair. And uh, I, as I learned that she was my cousin and I, you know, I could be with her and learn from her and she kind of took me (laughs) under her wing (laughs) in the wheelchair and, I think that that was a major mentor in my life. I think that uh, she tapped into a willingness to be of service because we would do things like rip sheets for bandages for lepers, and Mm -hmm. we would go and volunteer time. I was just a kid, volunteer time at uh, a home for uh, children with Down syndrome. So I started, this was like my Saturdays, you know, doing these kinds of things. So that was a mentorship. Mm -hmm. And uh, it definitely, and there was the love of that person to me. Yeah. You know, I see my dad as a mentor now. He was gone, it's been 50 years now. Oh, wow. So, but he was someone who supported me in my explorations of life. So I think that that has always just been with me my willingness to learn from people and accept their love, yeah, you know? Uh, so uh, the next mentor in my life that meant a lot to me came right around, at, shortly after my father's passing, actually. And he was younger than I am. He still oh. is younger than I yeah, am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, he uh, talked to me, he talked to my heart about peace that's already within us and it made so much sense to me because that was, I had written on my, I was in college at the time and I had written on my dorm, <clears throat> the layout C saying, 
why go outside for better seeing? Everything you need is within you. Mm. But I didn't know what that meant. And Prem Rawat kind of nudged me and said, it's not just a nice thing to print on your door. I mean, he didn't say that to yeah, me yeah. personally. But, you know, said, look, it is within you, and you could know it. And that was 50 years ago, and I still am very, very grateful to that understanding. And to, So my life just has gone on that yeah. way, you know, and I've pursued what have been my passions and what my life, you know, like when I bought the farm, my mom was like, freaked out about it you know she said you're going backwards you know especially because of the way I wanted to live yeah but um at the same time she recognized she said to me you have always wanted to live on a farm when you were little you always would talk like that Mm -hmm. and then you forget you know so I feel like my life has been a journey of coming back to who I am Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I so love that thought. Hope that wasn't too long. No, that was great. Um, so you mentioned that you had a Navajo mentor. Mm. How did that come about? Is that part of your heritage or how did that? I don't know my full heritage. I'm about, okay. I just said to Lauren the other day, you know, I should get my DNA done. And <laughs> kind of curious. But yeah. um, the that was an interesting moment because I was studying uh, Chinese medicine and recognizing you know, in all the textbooks, it says that uh, Chinese medicine originated out of shamanism. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, well, what's shamanism? What are we talking about here? And it's actually an incorrectly used word because shamanism actually comes refers to Siberia. Oh, okay. you know, it's not really, but it's okay. You know, nobody knows. Everybody uses it. It's like Kleenex now. You know. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, but it made me start looking, and I I learned from some people from South America. And then I wanted, I really wanted uh, to meet a woman healer as well. And I felt like it needed to be someone in North America because, you know, travel and everything. Yeah. So uh, it was kind of serendipitous, as I think a lot of things are. I was getting these gay travel magazines, and one of them said, you know, go to phoenix or some part of arizona to go camping and i thought oh, okay that's a good starting point and then i could and when i called the gentleman to find out about it he said you know i take people to i take women up to uh, meet annie Kahn and they do sweat lodge with her mm. and she's navajo and i was like hmm okay then i looked at the distance of the drive and i was like i called him back i said can you just give me annie's number <laughs> <laughs> and he did and that started an incredible couple of decades of relationship that it still goes on she's no longer here yeah. but I still am very grateful for that time that I spent mm-hmm. um, with her so that was that's yeah. how that one happened yeah and so I'm definitely getting the sense that you're someone who's deeply connected to their inner voice perhaps like has directed you you followed it and so when you um, felt this um, pull toward farming and and buying this land and whatnot. Sounds like you had a mentor um, affirming that. And so how long did it take you to find the place that you have now? What was that search like? Not super long. I mean, uh, I have definite sense of time. And I remember I thought about this piece of property and I wanted to get it. And um, I forget how it went down, but... uh, 
when I actually went to purchase it, all of a sudden they said they raised the price. And it was out of my league at that moment. Mm-hmm. And But I, I persisted. I kept looking at land and stuff. And then one time I just called them back and I said, look, I can close in a couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, it was just like, don't play this game with me. Yeah. And they didn't. And so that's what happened. And um, like I said, it's, you know, so the whole point to have that land, again, was to share it. Yeah. So I know that this area, you know, um, uh, back to the landers, I guess, you know, people. So I've been here about um, five and a half years uh, in Viroqua and am from eastern Wisconsin. So I grew up in rural Wisconsin. And so did you have any trepidation about... I just think of rural Wisconsin as sometimes also being like super conservative. Um, you know, my growing up was like farmers, hunters, um, you know, I don't know, ice fishermen, <laughs> snowmobiles, whatever. Like when, you know, and I know you're near Ontario. Anyway, like any of that, you're coming from the city, you're moving to a state, you know, that maybe you're unfamiliar with. Was that ever a thought of yours or like what neighbors might think or I don't know? No, and okay. and probably had I spent too much time on that, I sure. wouldn't have done it. Oh, okay. Because, and I and I'm glad I did. Don't yeah, get me wrong, course. but you know when you overthink something, mm-hmm. and then all the negatives come in, and all the possibilities. I mean, 22 years ago, I would not have been able to know what's happened in the last even five years, mm. six years. You know, yeah. I would not have known this was coming. I would not have envisioned it because. You know, I have a hard time with a lot of what's going on because I was I stood up against Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I went to from Pennsylvania to Washington D.C. as a teenager. I went to see Nixon impeached. So you know, so now we're having this happening. You know, so I look at people wherever they are mm-hmm. as people. They might want to put themselves in a box, and they may want to put me in a box. But my, inter- my intention, and I do the best I can, is to see them as a human being. So I'm glad I made the choice I made. It's not been easy. Mm. Believe me, it's not been easy. You know, it's a very different world in Ontario than Viroqua. Absolutely. You know? Can you, tell, can you talk about some of the challenges that you've had to overcome and kind of persevere through to get, you know... Some people would be maybe scared off, or I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. life has felt harder, for sure, in, I think, these rural areas, and maybe in particular. Yeah, what are some things that have come up? Well, pretty much, I could say just about everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's how you face it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's what you do with it. Uh, big lessons, you know, big lessons about... Like I brought to our town board the possibility of signing a letter to to be in support of Dark Sky Initiative. Yeah. Okay. So that because a large chunk of Wildcat Mountain State Park is in the town of Forest, which is where I live, mm-hmm. and I was shocked that people refused to sign a letter because they were fearful of what would come, quote unquote, next. Mm. You know, and and it's on like, like your your progressive agenda or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and I don't even I don't even like to wear the label of progressive. Right. I don't like to wear a label. Sure. 
but you know when you run into this kind of mindset and it's you know it look it's major and it's everywhere mm-hmm. this this patriarchal top down white thinking dominant i shouldn't say white it's dominant thinking mm-hmm. is everywhere so I, I didn't run to it and i didn't run from it living where i live but it's a reality and and so to me you want to face these things how how do you want to face these things is critically important for me i want to face it human being to human being mm-hmm. that's how i have to face it that way now that doesn't mean it's always victorious it's not but you know i i'm very heavily involved in environmental issues you know and people don't see they don't understand they don't consider future generations and this is where i feel very blessed that i had the grandmother that i had mm. that i had my cousin that i had my dad that i had annie con you know that i have had people who cared about the land instill in me that respect so you know i feel that we are in such need of of um finding our and connecting to our humanity again and i don't want to be a part of that not happening in someone's life just to be right sure mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah mm-hmm. i'm right so therefore you know yeah no i want well cuz if you that. want that you want that for everybody exactly and ultimately i mean many friends that i have who live in rural areas um yeah there's these ideological there's you know like a line let's say and a separateness but they're one-on-one relationships with neighbors and um their towns are that's different that's personal that's you know and it's how do we extrapolate that you mm-hmm. know right. bigger because the truth is we're all more similar than we are different and right. and all those things um do you have like a spiritual practice or something that helps keep you mm-hmm. in that space because i can imagine that there were times and are times when that feels more difficult yeah, well, I told you when I was 19, I really made that decision, and it was a decision that I made, that the way the world was was not what I was willing to sacrifice myself to, that instead I needed to have that anchor inside. And so when I heard about Prem Rawat, and and that person said, it's within you and I can show you, I took him up on that. I took him up on that, and I still do. And so that that practice of allowing myself to experience peace within myself is my touchstone. It has been, and I know it will be to the end. Um, my thinking changes. You know, my beliefs change. People asked me one time, somebody said to me one time, well, what do you believe about God? And I said, you don't want to know what I believe about God. You want to know what I know about God. Mm-hmm. There's a difference. You want to believe, you have beliefs, beliefs change. Mm-hmm. You know, but do I, I know that there is something. I don't care if you, if you have to put the label on it, you go ahead, you label it, mm-hmm. you know. But... I know that that sense of love that I have, you know, is the thing that keeps propelling me. Made me come here to talk to you today. 
Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Appreciate it. Um, So talking about the farm, Mm. did you move with a group of people? Was that the, or did you come here yourself and if I build it or buy it, (laughs) they will come? I think it was more the latter. Okay. And there were people definitely in Chicago because I'd been there like 22 years. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, 22 and 22, yeah. but uh, who really encouraged me, supported me, um, and still do, you know. Um, but I see now that it was, it's a really big leap for people. It, it, everything about what I call the experiment of Echo Valley is a very big leap for people. Mm. Because, you know, my whole feeling always was buy the land and take it because my Navajo mentor they don't own land right Mm -hmm. and so that was even I had trepidation about even buying land but so take buy the land but take it out of buy and sell don't Mm -hmm. let it ever go back there again let it go let it be passed on by people who just want to live on the land you know that's so hard for people we are steeped in ownership yeah you know we are steeped in One of the concepts that I learned, it really stays with me, and I think it was with me ever since my cousin Angie in the wheelchair. And that was, it's it's a Quechua word, and it's aini. And it means reciprocity. Yeah, you're taking a nice deep breath, right? (laughs) Reciprocity, breathing in, breathing out. Mm -hmm. Giving, taking in, giving out. Mm -hmm. And that, that is how I choose to live. Now, I have to do, there are certain things I have to do. You know, I have to pay taxes. January 31st is coming up. <laughs> you know, there are things that I, in, in order to survive at this time and space, I have to do. But I try as best I can to live in Aini, to live in reciprocity. And um, that's a really tough call for people. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think, you know, there was a time before we moved here as we were kind of formulating um, where we wanted to settle. We have four kids, and as they were oh. getting older, um, <laughs> we wanted to settle somewhere. We had moved around. We've lived in Central America and in Colorado and Minnesota and Wisconsin and kind of moving every three or four years. Anyway, um, and we <laughs> talked about like communal living mm-hmm. and what that would be and stuff. And of course, there's the ideological. Like, of course, like, we have, like, family and, like, helpers, and we can help. We all have different talents. We don't all have to do everything, you know, not to mention child care, <laughs> you know, all the things that come with that. But also very aware of the other side of that, that we have been raised in an individualistic society and don't have mentors or anyone to show us how to live in a collective society so then you've got all these individualists coming to a place and we without someone willing to do the deep dive with everybody and what does it mean to um maybe not have a hierarchy or whatever and that that template is imprinted on us mm-hmm. so to to face the reality of it mm-hmm. i think i mean ultimately we decided you know um yeah that maybe some next lifetime but you know we're just that's not a hill we, we want to climb. So is that kind of what you're talking about when people come and it, there's maybe an ideological version of it and then the reality of it? Yeah, and it's usually their ideological. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like, 
Yeah. What What will I get out of this? You know, kind of sure. thing. It's a. Uh, well, and how they want it to feel, which yeah. sometimes it does, but it mm. doesn't feel like that all the time. Mm. It's like love, or you know, whatever. It's like mm. that's not just static. No, I think you hit the nail on the head about where we are coming from. Mm-hmm. We come from. We come from patriarchy. We come from top-down hierarchy. We are not. And this is why I love spending time with communities of people, and they tend to be more indigenous and black, mm-hmm. um, that uh, are willing to sacrifice that individuality for the collective. And that is, and because it's not even, you know, sacrifice is actually the wrong word. I'm mm-hmm. sorry I said it, because that's what people think. They're, oh, it's a big sacrifice. It's a word we understand. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's not. And I, I long for that. It's why I did it. Mm-hmm. I, I loved what I felt as I would go to the Navajo Reservation and have that experience every year, every month in some cases. Um, and I, I did long for that. I still long for that. And now I'm finding it in situations like this or on Zoom. You know, I have, I'm in more circles on, uh, and collectives and collaborations than I can almost keep track of. <laughs> but I'm finding that like-mindedness that I crave um, and need there, you know. And I'm not willing anymore. I'm getting too old for this. I'm not willing anymore to sacrifice, my sacrifice, yeah. of my higher dreams and ideals because I know what's possible for human beings. Mm-hmm. If it's been possible for me in my life, then I know it's possible for you. If I can respect myself in my life, then I know that's that that same respect needs to be go to go to you, whether you're conservative or mm-hmm. you know whatever the difference we see feel like we see. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not willing to compromise that. Yeah. Um has there been a community on your farm that has stayed there, or is it yeah. more transient? It's mostly transient, mm-hmm. but um, we've had families who've lived there, and you know we've had people pass away. Mm-hmm. Um, we've it's, but I finally I think in the last few years I recognize that this is a place people come, and if they're willing to give it time, like we had a young woman who I love her dearly. Uh, who came from Cincinnati and spent two years with us, you know, through COVID, to just mm. kind of just happened that way, oh. you know, and such a such a learning, you know. She's a young black woman, and you know, it was when George Floyd and all of these things were happening, and you're sitting at the table with someone and then listening to the news and looking in their eyes, and man, I can't tell you the learning, you know. So. It's, and she's still super close in my life, and she's still, and will be, and you know, who knows? Um, so as long as that's the outcome mm-hmm. for people, I'm fine with it, because in my sense, in my mind, she's still my family, she's still my community, and there's many people like that. And I get letters much after the fact, yeah. you know, years after the fact. Oh, by the way, thank you, I'm still remembering what I learned there. So that's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you learn about communal living? 
Well, first off, half of my family's Italian. Oh, okay. <laughs> and they all lived, like, where I grew up, my great aunts and uncles literally were all around me. Mm. And it was, I grew up in an area called Little Italy, mm. Rochester, Pennsylvania, North Rochester, Pennsylvania. So, you know, my grandmother, everybody was, they were all really close. And um, so that was a sense, in a sense, a lot of community there. You know, I would, I remember running through this one guy's grapevine, a bunch of us would go and grab his grapes and he would come after us yelling <laughs> because he was going to make wine. But uh, so there was that. But then when I got into my 20s, I lived in an ashram mm. for seven years. So that was community. Where was that at? Uh, many places. That's why I traveled. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> many places. I was. I lived in many and great, great places. You know, one of the places that I got to live in was Hartford, Connecticut, on a farm, and that was really fun. And that was when I got to taste again the, what I had missed from being with my grandmother in her garden. Mm-hmm. So you know, that was uh, that was cool. But the same thing I learned then is what I've relearned now, which is that our culture is not, we're not, we're not very good at community. Right. We're not. And it's sad. It's sad because it really, and that's why some people seek out the communities that they seek out, whether it be a bar or a church. Yep. And then that's, then, you know, the ills that can come of that. Yeah. Because there are, you know, that closed-minded yeah. thinking. Yeah, I think about, um, you know, because... Well, for me, it was parenting that brought up a lot of that of Mm -hmm. like, yeah, Mm -hmm. we're not supposed to be doing this one mom, one house, Mm -hmm. four kids, you know, (laughs) even one kid. Right. It's it's a lot. And I remember um, like a friend of mine had a baby and other than taking her a meal, she lived, you know, it's a half hour drive through the city to hang out with her. There was I had my own kids I'm dealing with. There was no way I was going to go and, like, be a presence for her and a constant support. I'm like, oh, man, we are just, like, doing this wrong, and we're suffering for it. (laughs) Right. Right? We're all suffering for it. Even in, you know, my marriage of, like, just two people, our kids, and we're doing everything, you know, every day. And so... um, (laughs) The rise of the nuclear family. Of the nuclear family, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And so I... And that we are wired to be in community, to be in tribes, to have these safe spaces that where we are like loved and held accountable and we all kind of have our purpose in place and we're mentored and we're helpful and whatever. And it's bas- it's like been corrupted. <laughs> and so that even when we try to get build community in these ways that we're really kind of wired to do it, our you know, the corrupted part of it makes us want to, I mean, it's almost like we don't know how to function without the hierarchy and who's in charge and who are we listening to. And now we're Mm -hmm. voting and, you know, um, because we just don't, we don't know anymore. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. To a point. Yeah. But there's, that's why I'm very grateful that I made that choice very early on to make that connection to myself, Mm. to the peace within me to a place where I could go to step out of the whirl of it all to come to a point of clarity to make a decision you know about whatever it is 
And I think if more of us, and I, I'm very, I'm still very actively encouraging people to uh, go to the peace education program of the Prem Rawat Foundation. We actually have, uh, we're Echo Valley Hope, my nonprofit, is also just working to get people to, you know, go through that 10, 10 week program. It's not the be all and end all, nothing is. But if it gives you a place to start to listen, you know, a, apart from the craziness that is constantly bombarding us, and then you have to filter through that craziness to find the one strand that makes sense to you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. But if you could find a way to have that stillness, you know, have that. And I hate using words, actually, because it... It's so limiting mm-hmm. because what I understand of peace, somebody else is not going to understand the same thing. Mm-hmm. But so because of that, I truly believe, I mean, look, if you go back to the Iroquois, the Iroquois Confe- Confederacy, right? That was, there was a, a person who came at that time and he taught the tribes about the, the possibility of peace. He invited them to come together and and in a union where they would work together rather than fight together. Mm-hmm. And he's that person is still very revered. I, I'm not remembering the name, mm-hmm. but you know, you could look up the peacemaker of the Iroquois and people could learn a lot that these, you know, because it's so easy to say, well, people have always been this way. No, yeah. not all people have been this way. Yeah. I like the words of John Trudell. I listened to the, the poet and the activist, John Tudell. He's no longer with us, but his words are. Mm. And he talks about the uh, tribes of Europe, whatever happened to the tribes of Europe. And then he makes the case about the uh, burning of witches mm-hmm. and the different things that occurred. And that, that he refers to it as a virus, a human virus. And he said when the people came to this country, when the... Europeans came, they couldn't even recognize, they were so sick Mm -hmm. that they couldn't even recognize other human beings. That sickness is still with us. But the antidote is within us too. And if we keep worrying so much about the sickness and just focusing on the sickness and tearing apart the sickness, we're never going to get there. We have to come back to the root. There's another really cool saying that uh, I'm probably talking way too much, but that's no. what happens. <laughs> this is your show. Oh, yeah, this is it, right. <laughs> okay, this is my chance. Um, I was asked <clears throat> by someone who was, uh, I think they were Caro at the time, Caro Native people from South America, how do you, uh, if you want to change the course of a river, what do you do? And, of course, very smart people say, well, I don't want to change the course of the river, or they say, you know, and mostly people come up with, you get big rocks, bulldozers, da-da-da-da-da, and that's the way we do it, and that is the way we think. That is right there, in a, in a nutshell, the way we think, and that person said to me, no, go to where the water is coming up from the ground or coming down from the mountain and put your finger there. Hmm. Go to the source. Go to the source. So that's, you know, 
I could look at my life and say, boy, did I make a mistake? I could have stayed in Chicago, made a lot of money. Because when I first started doing acupuncture, it was a felony. Oh. Yeah, it was a felony because the AMA said, you're sticking a needle in somebody, that's surgery. Oh. <laughs> it was completely insane. Yeah. So the minute that changed, everybody could raise their rates, you know, blah, 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 yeah. blah, famous people, everybody's an acupuncturist now. And you make all kinds of good money. Mm-hmm. So I say to myself, what the hell? What were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> You're living on a farm, you know? What are you doing here? But I'm not sorry. Right. I've made these choices clear-mindedly, you know, as much as I could. Right. Mistakes, yes, I've made them. But I'm not going to dwell on my mistakes. Are you kidding? I'm keep, breath keeps coming to me. Mm-hmm. So am I going to ignore that? Or am I going to keep going? You bring up an interesting thing that has kind of been swirling in the back of my mind, which is um, when you're talking about the city life versus the rural life and a couple things that I'm curious if you want to talk to. Because part of the reason, you know, we were living in St. Paul, my husband's from the suburbs up there, and we just were very clear that, like, the city system, we just don't want to be a part of that. Um, I don't know <laughs> when we talk about community when we talk about connection we talk about these things i mean of course technically i guess they're possible but it seems like structures that were built to support obviously our capitalistic society and some you know just watching all the cars going in and working in all the buildings and then going out to their suburban homes and just felt wrong like we don't want to participate <laughs> in this system that clearly is not actually helping or thriving for us you know um and to dig deeper i am interested when i was on your farm i know that it's um queer friendly and that that's something that is specifically like advertised and that there need to be you know a lot of queer people and people of color are in cities for various reasons but also you know resources and and um, you know families and things like that, but need connection to the earth as well. And that has been like a white person privilege to be able to buy land and hand it down through generations. And now there's like a reclaiming of that. So you wanna speak to anything that I... Yeah, I mean, that's, thank you for noticing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we could have, and I learned early on in my 22 years here that it was probably not the safest thing. Yeah. But I also learned in my life that I shouldn't be afraid, that fear is, is akin to death. Mm. So I refuse to be afraid. You know, I often will say to people, was Martin Luther King a victim? You know, he made the speech. I've been to the mountain. I may not get there with you. And the next day he's, he's gone. But was he a victim? He, he was fully aware. Of, in my opinion, mm-hmm. of what he was doing. And you have, that's living consciously. So, yeah, I made the choice, especially as, well, I started, there was a person running for school board a couple of years back, and I got wind of it, and she was anti-CRT, she was homophobic, she was everything mm-hmm. that would not, not, what I would not want being taught in the schools or restricted so I started writing op-eds and showing up at the school board, and I realized that you know my voice was really important there. And again, I tried to do it in such a way that it's human being to human being. You know, I don't want to fight your ideas, 
but I also don't want to be reduced. Mm. I'm a human being, you know? So we made the decision that we, uh, like on the, on the cabin rentals, <clears throat> we say uh, gay owned and operated and BIPOC welcome. Mm. And I figure if you have to look up BIPOC, then you know, you probably won't come and that's okay. And people, I can't tell you since we did that, how many people come and, and some of them don't even, they don't even know. They just, they're just drawn there mm. and how grateful they are. The other thing people say is, oh, you're so cheap. How come it's so cheap? And I'm like, because I'm not a capitalist. Yeah. Well, what are you? I'm a human being. You know, I need to survive, but I don't need to, you know, survive in such a way that it, you couldn't experience this. Mm. You know, and, and, and that's how I feel. It's like it's an incredible opportunity to live where I live. Are you kidding me? The skies that I get to see, the animals that I get to see, the, the sounds that I get to hear, the quiet that I get to feel, it's like, of course I want to share that with people. Of course I, because when they come, and then it helps them remember. And I can't tell you, people have come from all over the world, and I can't tell you how many have said, this is just like home, whether it was Japan, or, or Croatia, or wherever it's been. This is just like home. And I always laugh. I go, sure, because your home is inside. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where your home is. And this just is resonating for that, with that for you. Yeah. So I don't know if I answered your question. Really but uh. <laughs> Yeah, I just, you know, when, when we were out there, um, when we visited last summer, that um, partially what I was thinking about was like it's, it's definitely a choice and a bold choice to be um, maybe isolated or, you know, kind of out. It's not, you know, easy. Well, I mean, it's easy to get to because there's roads, but you know what I mean? Like it's it's out there. It's mm -hmm. rural. Mm -hmm. And I know about rural Wisconsin and um, that that is brave, I guess, you know, to to. I don't want to say advertise that, but like just to be out and, or, you know, to, to openly say that and then come what may, because I know not everyone mm. feels safe mm. based on who you are, skin color, um, you know, like driving the rural roads around here and possibly getting stuck. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, just yeah. that, that it, that is an actual thing. Yeah, no, here, it's, it's right? real. And we didn't, it was a choice, you know, and, and I probably picked the worst possible moment to put up our gay trans flag. Mm. And when we did, I said, buy the biggest one you can find. Yeah. Because, not because I'm, I, look, I don't even like, I have never liked the word lesbian. I mm. just don't, and I get a lot of flack for this. I have a lot of, my sensibility about myself is as a human being. I was always androgynous. Mm. You know, I always saw myself that way. So now you want to call it gender fluid, fine. I don't care. Call it whatever you want. I know who I am. That's all I care about. And I'm not going to stop being who I am because you are stuck in some kind of binary thinking. Mm -hmm. And so then when I realized we needed to take a stand, yeah. come what may, we needed to take a stand. Then I did it. Yeah. And I'm not, I haven't regretted it. Um, we'll see, you know, I could easily see a time where I wouldn't need to do that. And I would be happy for that. Right. You know, I'd be happy for that. But this is uh, this is the time we live in, isn't it? It really is. Um, so, in the arc of what you possibly imagined, you know, when you bought this <laughs> land and, and what you wanted 
has it settled into what it's going to be? Is it ever changing? Is ever it become changing. okay? Ever changing, yeah. ever changing, and it's the way it should be. It's ever changing because, for one, I'm ever changing. Mm. You know, I'm I'm learning. I and I'm not afraid. I put myself in all kinds of circumstances. You know, um, to learn from other people. Part of the Wisconsin Network for Peace and Justice. When I was on the board years ago, I jumped off the board because it was too heavily focused on anti-war and not enough on pro-peace. I'll just mm -hmm. say that. Mm -hmm. You know, and then they invited me back, and it's a very different climate. Mm -hmm. It's a very different climate, and I love it. I love the exchange with people, and I love... It's like what I had hoped to see happening. Sure. You know? And um, I'm going to keep... That's what I'm going to keep doing. I don't see myself doing, you know, people talk about retirement. My sister's retiring now, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm like, tell me what it's like, would you? She's five years younger than I am. I'm All like, right. go ahead, tell me what it's like, because right. I don't see that in my future, you know? Well, I think also when you've hopefully curated the life that you want and you're living a life that you want, what is there to retire from? Yeah. I mean, I think that sometimes too, mm -hmm. like I don't, I'm not into the grind until I get some payout someday mm -hmm. that's going to have made it all worth it. Because, yeah. you know, this is a little story about us, but when we were out of graduate school, my husband, um, he's an accountant, and so he got a job at a big four firm in Minneapolis and all of that. And then we, like, bought a house and had a baby, and he was, like, not very healthy and working a lot of hours and really not around. And I'm like... I actually didn't marry you to like just provide for us. Mm -hmm. I married you because I, I like you. You're like one of my favorite people. Mm -hmm. And now I never see you. And I was like, you know, there was this narrative at his um, work and they would always like, you know, the partners would like host things so that all the new people could see what could be theirs someday and whatnot. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't care. Mm -hmm. I don't want it if we don't have a connection and you've basically had to neglect us for 10 years to get this oh, thing, right? And I said, and what if you die <laughs> eight years into this? Mm -hmm. You don't know your children. Mm -hmm. You never got the payout. You know, like I just, we, I'm, it's one of the things we were like 30, I think, um, when all this kind of came to a head. And it was like, we, no, <laughs> we just <laughs> refuse to play this game. Yeah, good. We just can't do it. And, um, so started curating, which is kind of why we've like moved and tried things and whatnot and have really tried to be in control of that, I guess I would say, which, mm -hmm. you know, then it doesn't feel like we have a life we need to retire from. Right. Yeah. Right. Is. Exactly. And how many people get to that retirement age and then they check out, you know, or, yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't know. A anyway, I, I don't want to judge other people's lives and, and, you know, but maybe hearing this somebody would be like you know yeah you're right I, yeah. I don't think people should live in regret mm. you know I, I don't think so but the best way to not live in regret is to live your life mm -hmm. you know make conscious choices so that you don't have to look back yeah. and say oh if I'd only done xyz you know right um so I'm curious there's some questions that I <laughs> um sometimes will ask um, people and I kind of got away from it in my first season of the podcast, but I'm thinking about getting back into it. I'm curious for you, um, like, what are you enjoying about this phase of life that you're in right now? 
<laughs> oh, because, sorry, the very first episode of this was I asked the same questions to um, my teenage daughter, someone in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, mm-hmm. and 70s, just to gauge like this lifespan, right? Mm-hmm. So what are you enjoying about this stage of life? Hmm. Well, I, it's funny because the first thing that I thought of was that I can pretty much say anything I want now. Yeah. But, you know, I think I always did. Mm-hmm. But I can say it without looking back, and I have much less, like, concern about how things land. And I'll tell you why. Not because I'm trying to do anything, stir up a pot or whatever. I'm just talking. I'm just being myself. But because I've seen that seeds take time Mm -hmm. so that what I've done may not show itself. The fruit of what I do may not show itself, maybe even in my lifetime, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. And I think that's a, a nice piece. The other thing that I love about right now is that while my body is aging, it's clear to me that nothing else is. You know, in terms of my joie de vivre, in terms of my my passions, um, clearly my love of food hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, it, I, it's a good time. Great. But I think everybody could have that good time. I know it's available to everyone, and that's why I will always say to people, stop find your heart. Mm. Whatever way you can do that, however you can do that, stop. Stop. You know, and if it means that, don't be afraid. See, people are afraid. You stepped out. I stepped out. Mm -hmm. People are afraid to step out of the wheel. You know, they're afraid. And, and, And mostly our families and our culture, you know, our culture wants us in that wheel. Yeah. You know, it keeps it all going. But, well, it's a story that we've been told right. that we is predictable, that if you do this, mm-hmm. then then this. Mm-hmm. And that was, yeah, un, mm-hmm. I was like, no, people die of stress. <laughs> like, right. This is not a right. sure thing. So it's okay, you know, mm-hmm. to, if you stop, because maybe you're, nothing will change for you. Maybe you'll step out, you'll feel your heart, and you'll be like, yeah, I'm right where I should be. Mm-hmm. But at least you have that anchor. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. But that's a fear, you know. It's like, oh, if I stop and I actually feel something, I'm going to have to change. I don't think that's true. Yeah. Um, what are you looking forward to in, like, the next decade? This is really a good question. It's I've never thought about it before. I was wondering. I'm like, I'm not sure if you strike me as the kind of person who yeah. you seem now, like, very present. <laughs> I am. But at the same time, you know, I'll be inching to that seventh decade. I'm getting closer. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I have fantasies. I, you know, James Hallberg asked me to do concert conversations on mm-hmm. WDRT. I would have never known that I would be. And then he asked me to do Consider This. I didn't know I was going to be on the radio. Yeah. So I, I make jokes sometimes, and I say, well, I think my next uh, job is I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. You know, and everybody starts laughing. But anything's possible. It, absolutely. You know? If Not you're that open I, to it, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I want to enjoy. Yeah. That's what I want. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice you would give your younger self that you, or wish, something you wish you knew? Don't worry. It's all turning out just fine. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think I, yeah. I don't think I would. 
you know, maybe there were a few things that I walked into that I wish I hadn't, but I mm, learned from those. Totally. I learned from those too. Absolutely. And I can and it gave it gives me more empathy and more compassion. All right, so you have a blog mm-hmm. and I a do. website. Can you tell us about that? I got that? so many. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's the farm, Echo Valley Farm, Wisconsin. There's Echo Valley Hope, which is our nonprofit, and I'm really proud of that. I look back at some of the words and the ideas. It's it's an educational nonprofit. And, you know, I look at some of what we've done. Like I, I do, I put my conversations on there, mm-hmm. you know, with people. Um, and I've tried to get people from all over the state who are actively engaged in good transformations to talk Mm -hmm. because their voice doesn't often get out, Mm -hmm. especially out here. So there's that. And then like kindnesswin.com is my blog. And and it's a mess, Um, and a mess in what I mean by that. Actually, they're helping me now. I never put things in a menu. Okay. But because you can say, yep. you know, you, you can, can tag it. You can tag it. Now yeah. they're doing it for me. I saw that. So that's really great. <laughs> I love that because I kept telling myself, well, one day when I have time, but it's like six years old, yeah. you know? And I spent time at Standing Rock and I wrote the whole time I was at Standing Rock, mm-hmm. but good luck finding it in the. <laughs> yeah. In the, so but, now there's, there's a bit, it's a tag menu yeah, that you can. Yeah. So, on. but it's fun. And I do that uh, at least weekly. So that's good, and I'm on the board of the Wisconsin Network for Peace and Justice, and I'm very happy to be on that board. I have a lot of respect for the people on that board. Recently, we received a grant for um, from the BEA, which is Building Equity and Alignment in Environmental Justice. Okay. So I am going to be spearheading this year an environmental justice coalition um, a, pl- a one-stop place where people can learn what's happening in the state, Great. and uh, that's going to that's going to be a little busy. Yeah, but good. Yeah, you know. You know, it's really inspiring, and one of the things that inspired me to do this podcast and just hear about what women are up to um, in the area. I've had some other like colleagues and friends on from other places, but you know, to there isn't just an arc of life, right? Where it's like, oh, you do this and you go to school (laughs) and maybe you partner up and have kids and da da da, right? That like so many people have taken so many different paths and we can all be inspired by, I think we're kind of trapped in our own lives or in our own, what we think are options for us until we hear other people's stories and what they chose to do and the leaps of faith they took and the um, encouragement and the, you know, that, that, we can really make our life, you know, hopefully to some great extent what we want, you know, and make choices that might seem bold, but also other people are doing that too. So maybe I get some um, some courage from that or whatever, yeah. Everybody has a story. Absolutely. Everybody, everybody is sacred. Mm. Everybody. Everybody has that gift being given to them as long as they're breathing. And I have to find a way to acknowledge that and respect that. Mm. You know, and if I do it for myself, then I'll do it for you, whoever you are. Right. You know? But we need and that's a quick turnaround, you know, if, if more people did that. And people are. Mm-hmm. People are yeah. discovering that their intrinsic qualities within. And they need that. Because mm-hmm. it's not as you asked me in the very beginning of this 
soon to be hours, so yeah. I think it's <laughs> going to be time. But, um, you know, mentoring. Mm-hmm. But really, and those mentors came to me, but really it was always my personal pursuit. Right. And that's what I would encourage people. Don't be afraid to find your heart. Mm. Don't be afraid. I will leave it at that. That was really great. Thanks for coming in. It was really great to meet you. Yeah, it was a pleasure. And I'm sorry I missed you when you came to the bakery, but we'll do it again. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, sounds (laughs) good. All right, take care. Thank you. Thanks again to Dina for coming in and being a guest. Um, As I said, it was really wonderful to hear her story. And she has such an amazing presence. And if you've met her, you will know that right away. So, Dina, um, there's a website called EchoValleyFarmWisconsin.com. She has a blog called Consider This and also that show that I mentioned um, on WDRT, so you can listen to her thoughts there. Um, She also has a nonprofit called Echo Valley Hope. If you want to learn more about that, you can go to their website and um, check that out as well. So, yes, how lucky I am to meet such interesting people and get to have um, an hour or so of their time. So very grateful for that. Okie doke, everybody. That's the episode for this week. I'll be back next week with a new episode. And until then, I'll leave you with Elise Nicole. Take care, everybody. Yeah.